Chapter 1 I will never forget his last words to me, in a letter I received when I was living far from home. I know you are quite familiar with the workings of the serenade, dear Meredith, but I trust you to follow my business plan until you are strongly on your feet. The handwriting was strange to me, pained and spidery. Sam at the bank will be your financial advisor. Check in with him often. Charlie and Mona will share my estate equally with you, although you are receiving the serenade and some bare land, and they are receiving all bare land. Mom? Grant, my five-year-old son, asks from the back seat, jolting me back to the present. Is this the place Uncle Duck left you? Yes, this is it, I say, reaching across the seat behind me to tousle his black hair. I rummage through my purse for the keys Sam Overgaard had sent me. Why is it so dark in there, Mom? I look back at him, noting worry in his blue eyes, even in the dimness of the car's dome light. It's dark because it's been closed since Uncle Duck died. Nobody's in there. But we're going to change that. I love this place, Grant. I hope you will, too. I open my car door and take a deep breath of the fresh northern Montana air. Smell the air, Grant. It's the best in the world. It's too cold, he says as he opens his window. Before he closes it, he takes a loud, deep breath that I'm sure to hear. Yep, that's good air, Mom. The darkness of this late May night can't hide the surrounding beauty from me. I know in the light of day I'll see a wide expanse of prairie, dotted with craggy outcroppings and stubborn patches of deep snow, the magnificent glacier-laced Rockies on the horizon beyond. Close by, red paintbrush, purple bitterroot, and yellow sagebrush buttercup will just be beginning to bloom and ponderosa and quaking aspen around the property will provide shade on the warm summer days to come. Well, it's late, so let's go take a quick look around inside, and then we'll carry some things in so we can get settled for the night. There will be time for exploring tomorrow, I say, as I take Grant's hand to climb the fifteen flat log steps to the hotel entrance. Now let's hope Mr. Overgaard had the electricity and phone service turned on for us like he said he would. I separate the hotel lobby key from the others on the ring Mr. Overgaard had sent, and unlock the massive double pine doors. Something skitters across the floor in the beam of my flashlight, making us both jump. Probably just a mouse, I say, trying to sound confident. I find the switch by the door. Much better, I say, silently adding a thank you to Mr. Overgaard. I lead Grant down six steps into the main body of the lobby and my heart leaps with pleasure that everything seems to be exactly as it was the last time I saw the place. Three enormous, unlit chandeliers, fashioned from wagon-wheel rims and wreaths of antlers, hang suspended over the lobby by sturdy black chains, the air around them bisected by huge, round, yellow pine beams. A polished river-rock fireplace and chimney dominate the left side of the lobby. Groupings of comfy, overstuffed chairs and sofas fill the remainder of the room, more worn but still the same pieces I remember. The jewel of this room, though, is the magnificent, hand-hewn, knotty pine staircase to the second floor, which houses the hotel rooms. I'm scared, Mom, Grant says, squeezing his arms around my waist. Hey, honey, there's nothing to be scared of, I say. When business really gets going and this place is full of customers, it's a lot of fun. You'll see. Do you want to see the building tonight, I ask? Will it be dark? I don't think so, but we don't have to go anywhere that the lights don't work. Well, 
Okay, then, but only in the light places. A few hours later, after a tour of the restaurant, kitchen, and hotel, I tucked Grant into his sleeping bag on one of the sofas in the lobby. The odor of mice had permeated the entire place in the year it stood vacant. I imagine a lot of mice families have taken up residence. I'm grateful that rodents and some cracked ground-floor windows are the only problems I am aware of, as I sink wearily into an armchair next to Grant. I can almost hear Uncle Duck's jolly, booming voice resonating throughout the establishment, greeting customers and friends. He wasn't actually my uncle at all, just a dear friend who left me the gift of his beloved serenade, and now I've come back to reopen it, and to try to do it justice after the years of tender care that Uncle Duck put into it. I guess he saw some strength in me that I hadn't seen in myself.